Welcome to the Pure Victory Podcast, full of hot tips to help you win at sex, conquer porn, and find purpose in staying free forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and Brad and Hafner. Hey, 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 welcome back to Pure Victory Podcast. Matt here, Brad here. How are things? Things are good. Good. I can't complain. Better than I deserve, I suppose, hey? <laughs> oh, that's what Dave Ramsey says. Hey, yeah. You've been listening. I stole his line. I hope he doesn't uh, send me a cease and desist letter or something like that, using his his phrases. I think I think he's good financially. I don't think he needs to I think to he's okay. Yeah, yeah. He's, he doesn't need my money. Yeah, we're good. So there's a free promo for Dave Ramsey if you're in financial trouble. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and we do recommend it. I love how we, we jumped on that, so that's good. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, we're here with Mitch, founder of Just Add Wilderness, Mitch London, and we got connected on Facebook, and then I came to know that we have mutual friends. I'm like, man, you're in Colorado Springs. I'm in Edmonton. How do we have mutual friends? But Mitch is... Mitch, Mitch is doing a lot of things and he just leads people in, in in-person things around fire, uh, campfires, going doing retreats also online. And so some of my mutual friends, I connected with them. They're like, man, Mitch is, Mitch is awesome. Mitch is a great guy. He's deep. And so we got connected and I loved what he had to say. And so he's married 21 years, although I don't think he looks older than I am. So he's doing, doing pretty well with four kids and ordained pastor and just mm-hmm. got, got a lot going on. So I'm excited that the wealth of knowledge, the depth uh, that Mitch has is is really awesome. And we've been talking a lot in Restore lately about spiritual maturity and the impact of, uh, I would say, the impact that sexual sin has on the lack of spiritual maturity. And it doesn't matter a person's age. Um, we When we're constantly escaping, constantly looking to numb out, and not face the things of life, we're not growing. We're not growing spiritually, emotionally. And so Mitch has a really, really cool perspective and way of teaching on maturity and growing in that. And uh, and so anyways, Mitch, we're excited to have you. Thanks for being here. Hey, thank you guys. Appreciate it both and your time and, and the wonderful work you're doing by continuing to encourage and equip and, and you know strengthen relationships within the heart of men and then also within families. So that spills over into every aspect of community and life. So appreciate it. Mm. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and uh, we love having these conversations and spending time with guys like you and just unpacking kind of what it means to be spiritually mature, what it means to journey towards that and and how do we achieve that in life and what that means for us. Maybe if we are battling things like addiction or uh, having other relational issues that stem out of that. So this is this is great, Mitch. We're, we're very happy to have you. And uh, maybe just kind of starting us off here, could you kind of define for us, what would you say spiritual maturity is or just maturity in general? What does that mean? What does that look like? And then we'll get into how we get there. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a loaded one. Um, <laughs> spiritual maturity, in my opinion, is the introduction into Jesus Christ and then the pursuit of learning how to become what he has, what he is. Jesus told us to become what he is. And so in my definition, maturity starts with the introduction of who he is. And then that pursuit of becoming who he has called us to be, which is to be like him. And that, you know, that's the short version of it. But yeah, that, I hope that answers the question quickly. But it, it's uh, that process, that pursuit. Yeah, well, I love it. I love it. I'd love for you to get into the process that you take people through in depth of um, starting out as disciples. And then when, when we start there, then what the Lord has for us beyond um, just becoming a disciple of his. Yeah, no, that, it was a fun um, experience for me in season. I, I was really pressing in to the Lord. I wanted to learn more about discipleship. Obviously we know the great commission 
to go to make disciples of the nation. And so I start to ask myself, I like to look at things through cultural context. What did that mean to the hearers when Jesus spoke those words? It meant something different to their culture and their time, obviously, than it does to us in the 21st century. So many churches, so many ministries have so many different definitions. Oftentimes, a quote-unquote disciple means you're going to learn how to serve the church better. And I don't believe that was the original intent of how to, you know, help volunteer your time for a local ministry. So it just started me on this path of pursuing what is discipleship? What did it mean when Jesus said, follow me? It, it struck their hearts. And so it was a moment. And so during this process of discovery, I, dive, I dove in deep to discipleship. What did that mean? What did it mean to them through the cultural context? And then when I thought I had a pretty good handle on what all that meant, the Lord started to peel back another layer. And that's where this, this concept of going from a disciple to a servant to a son um, started to come in. And so I was teaching discipleship on what it means, on, on the cost, on the commitment that it's going to take to walk this path, to kind of forsake all. Um, it was a big, big thing in the back in the Bible days. To become a disciple was something very few people did. It was a cost to forsake everything. It was a cost to leave behind family with friends, the family business, Generally, the path of life was you, you grew up and you took over your father's business. You went to work and you started to do the family trade. When you were a disciple, you kind of separated from that normal path and you started to pursue something a little bit different than the cultural norm was in that, in that season. And so it's just, again, it's this process of learning what that meant to become. I mean, the ultimate goal, summarize a disciple, is to be what the teacher is. And so if you take Jesus out of it, you, just, you have a teacher and you have a student, you have a rabbi, you have a Talmud whatever it is, the goal is to be what that person is. Mm. And the process of discipleship begins, in my opinion, just like salvation begins with an introduction. This is who Jesus is. This is who the way of faith, this is what the way of faith looks like. And now you're going to start to observe. You're going to start to follow. You're going to start imitating what that actually is. And so it's a learning process very early on because I have four kids two daughters and then two boys. So my youngest are boys. They, more than my girls, try to mimic me in the things that I do. So when I would dress a certain way, my, my, you know, if I came out in a flannel shirt, my son would put on a flannel shirt. If I wore cowboy boots, he would want to have cowboy boots. You know, if I wore a ball cap, he wanted to wear a ball cap. And it was just this process of imitation because they were wanting to be who I was. Mm. They look up at us. And so as a disciple, it's kind of this early stage I don't really know what this is supposed to look like. I don't know what this lifestyle, how it plays out. And so if I can look, if I can observe, if I can follow, and if I can start to imitate, then it starts to sink down into my heart and it can start to get deeper into who I am in, in, in that process. Hmm. And feel free to jump in at any time. I can sit here and I'll start talking forever if you guys allow me to. Um, but that's where I would say the first process starts. And so Disciple for me, and again, this is this is my interpretation. This is my revelation of spending time with the Lord, of, of just seeing this process of sonship. You know, the world says it's not waiting for disciples. It's waiting for the revelation of, you know, sons to come back into play. The earth is groaning for this to happen. And so there's a maturity process that it has to be walked out. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I love the way that you said that. And, you know, for us listening, <clears throat> I think sometimes we think, well, am I maturing? Am I being discipled? 
Am I seeing this in my life? Am I, you know, what are some of the things that maybe would stop us from moving towards that? We have all these questions about this and, and for you, like, what are some of the, um, I guess, impediments I could, I would say from truly being discipled or truly seeing maturity in your life? Cause we face a lot of stuff in this culture or in the world right now. Um, people have different ideas about who Jesus is <laughs> and that's led them down different paths. But for, for you, what are, what are you, some of the impediments that, um, that you've seen? And I mean, of course, this podcast, we talk a lot about pornography and addiction to that. And that definitely plays into our maturing process. But just speak to that because I think that's a lot of listeners would, would like to know that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So back in, in, the, in Bible times, you had different kind of classes of rabbis. You had a, a Torah rabbi who, who basically taught the first five books. He, he said, I'm going to teach you how to read, how to write, how to memorize. Nothing to add, nothing taken away, just what's there. And then you had those rabbis who had quote unquote authority. And, and the Hebrew word for that was shmika, like S apostrophe M-I-K-H-A-H, I think is how it's, it's spelled. <laughs> but essentially that was impartation. We would say like an ordination today. It's where somebody lays hands on you and they could trace this quote unquote spiritual lineage all the way back to Moses. So when Moses laid hands on Joshua and Joshua laid hands and laid hands and laid hands, they'd say, I have the spirit of Moses. There was an impartation taking place inside of me just like with the lambs of sacrifice. So when they laid hands on the sacrificial lamb, they imparted all of the sins before the sacrificial lamb was sacrificed. And so this, this culture of impartation was at play. So you have these two different types of rabbis. And so you had one rabbi who only taught what was. This is what's in the text. This is what you can read. This is what's here. These ones with authority, they would have their oral interpretation. So they could kind of look at it and say, well, I think it means this. And I think we're going to add on to this. And those interpretations they called yokes. So it was the yoke of the Torah. And so these different rabbis, and I'm getting to your point, I promise I'm getting to your question, <laughs> is they had these interpretations that they added on top of everything else, all the other laws, all the other rules that they were following. They had their take on it, and they would add it on top of it. And Jesus mentioned this and addressed this, is that the yokes had become so burdensome because you've added so many things to what's just there. So the impediments today. How many different ministries do we have that are adding on? That this is my take. This is my, my way. This is the way I believe you should be doing it. And so I think where people get steered wrong is they don't spend as much time in the Bible of just seeing who Jesus was, how Jesus acted, how he interacted. What was that model, that example? And they listen more to a mentor, to a leader, to somebody in their life, in their circle. Now, there's different lessons for all of this. We're all called to follow people, even the ones that we don't agree with. We learn honor that way. We learn submission that way. You know, it's, it's easy to follow somebody you agree with 100% of the time. That, that's no, there's no test to that. But when you're called to serve somebody who you don't necessarily agree with, then you really learn to start to steward honor and show honor in your life. So I would say some of the impediments is just agendas. There's empires being built today. There's, you know, I don't want to bash the church because the church is the bride and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of people have a lot of different goals that they would like to see happen. And they try to formulate systems to help them achieve those goals. My mm -hmm. opinion is that fathers help to raise up sons so sons can go further, not to help raise up the father. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what the father did with Jesus. So. And then, and then the son points to the father, but the, the father um, points to the son. It's a beautiful process. In what way does sexual sin hinder someone's development um, in becoming a disciple, growing in a disciple, and then um, moving on into maturity from that? 
No, I think that's a huge part. And it's actually, there's, um, I was looking up some notes last night, just I wanted to prepare for our chat today to um, some of the different things that I had back in, I keep going back referencing cultural context. So I awesome. keep going back to the Bible days. And I have this quote in front of me and this, this, I, I'll just start reading what it says as part of this process was a serious commitment to a change of lifestyle. So the conversion process of going from somebody who's not following, you know, they call it the way back then or following Jesus, following the law, the Torah, the book of Moses, the law of Moses to somebody who was, they called it this conversion process. And it wasn't just a, Hey, raise your hand, say this prayer. Now you're saved for them back then. It was more serious <laughs> and I don't want to discount people's salvation. So don't hear what I'm not saying, but this, and I'll just keep reading this. They needed to have several things in place for this conversion to be validated by the rabbi or the elders of the community. It says, of course, a conversion candidate may feel disposed to observe the tradition, but they may lack the emotional stamina to keep it and not just slip out of this consciousness place. And so they would look at your environment. They would look at your friends. They would look at the support system that you would have because this was a commitment. This was a covenant. Now, covenant back in the day meant if my son broke covenant, I was required to kill him. Like it was that serious. If you broke covenant for the entire community, then I had to do the thing that nobody wants to do because it was such a serious thing. And so they looked at this and said, okay, if you're coming into this, if you're looking to walk this way, follow this path, there needs to be some things in place. Emotional stamina was one. Con living conditions was another one. Friends support system to kind of help make a conducive environment to grow in this type of faith. And so to bring it back to kind of sexual sin is, again, emotional resistance. Are we training people up to resist temptation? Are we training people about how to handle these situations? Um, honor starts in your thoughts. Well, so does a lot of things that turn into bad habits. It starts in thoughts. Do we teach people how to start in the thoughts? Or do we treat habits? Do we treat outward symptoms? Do we treat actions? Those types of things. Um, so I think part of the, the discipleship journey needs to be a really understanding. Again, let me explain it this way. Do you, you guys traveled? abroad, yep. mm -hmm. go to funny, you know, weird countries, mm -hmm. the culture shock when you get there. Yeah, yeah. for sure. You, you show up and this is not something I'm used to, yep. right? I'm used to living in a certain environment with certain things and things are normal to me. And now I'm in a new culture. I'm in a new kingdom. And there's a little culture shock. There are customs, there are ways, what's right, what's wrong. You know, speaking of sexuality, if you go to Europe, they're much more free about it than United States than Americas. And so there's more freedom in that culture and it's not necessarily looked at. Well, if you're going from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light and you're having a little bit of culture shock and you're still used to certain habits, you're going to have to really have somebody helping you to retrain those thoughts to understand, okay, this is where you came from and you might've been, this may have been acceptable, but now we're working towards this new way of living, this new way of standard. And that starts in thoughts in my mind. I think you have to start there. Right. That's great. And maybe speak to this, Mitch, too, because uh, I'm picking up, sometimes there's this tension that exists where people maybe um, are moving towards more of a, a legalistic approach, as you mentioned, like they're, they're focused more on behavior modification, the inner word transformation that the Holy Spirit does in our life as we're following Jesus. And there's this tension point where sometimes we cross over into this area because we're like, hey, I got to do all these things. And as you're mentioning, certain cultural backgrounds, we based on imprint of past and whatever else or what we're currently in. So how do you navigate that tension? Because I think that, I mean, Matt and I, we've talked about this a lot. Um, 
you know, we, we both had to wrestle with that because sometimes we'd move more into the legalistic aspect, which doesn't work. You know, there's a lot of shame there. There's a lot of performance-based aspect and mindset versus the inward transformation that the Holy Spirit does. But there's still work that needs to be done on that level too, right? Choice we need to make. So how do you navigate that tension? Because I think so many people um, get stuck in one kind of rut and it's really hard to break free from it. Yeah, no, it's, again, I had a mentor growing up kind of early in early years of my faith. And he used to tell me, Mitch, excellence is the standard, grace is the word. Strive for excellence, realize you're going to fall on your face a lot. And you have to give yourself grace because if you enter that place of shame and disgrace, then that's, that's a, its own little prison. And I think a lot of men specifically fall into that because when we don't achieve the standard we're trying to do, then we, we shame ourselves. We enter this place of disgrace and we kind of shut the cell on the door and I'm never going to get there, you know, this inner dialogue. I think in my experience, you know, leading men's events, the number one issue that every man um, that I've interviewed struggles with has been poor. It's been some kind of sexual sin in that type of an area. The thing that I try to ask when it's appropriate, you know, you don't blast people <laughs> with certain things, but would you do it if it was okay? If the Bible didn't say this was wrong, was this still something that you would pursue? Because sometimes we get caught in the, I can't do it because the Bible says it's bad, even though I think it's okay. I'm just trying to behave a certain way because I want to follow those rules. When you can look at it and you look at the virtue of a woman and the virtue of, you know, the body of all these different things, and you can try to picture that from Jesus's eyes and saying, this is never going to be okay, whether I said it was or not, this is something to behold. There's a purity there. And you can shift your mind from not just trying to obey the rule of what it is and understand the heart. So I was in uh, my prayer time this morning and the scripture popped up that really kind of was striking me. And it was in uh, Zephaniah 3 verses 9. It says, for then I will restore to the people a pure language. And we know that there's a lot in the Bible that talks about your mouth being disconnected from your heart, you know, and out of their mouth comes the abundance of the heart. So to have a pure language, you have to have a pure heart. There has to be this encounter with the Lord. We can't make our our hearts pure on their own. It's something that God comes in. He steps in and helps us do that. The Holy Spirit guides us through this process. And so I think a lot of these men, you know, again, it's, it's not just hating the sin. I think it goes deeper than that of this grieves the father's heart, this practice, this whole, the fact that this exists, this perversion of what he intended to be pure, this, you know, iniquity is twisting. It's just this twistedness of what should have been right. And looking at things differently than just that's I'm not supposed to do that. I feel guilty afterwards because I'm disappointing somebody. I'm letting myself down. I'm letting heavenly father down. I'm letting, you know, long list of names of these different things. But in my opinion, and you guys are more experts on this than I am, but if I can help a man see that if you're still okay doing it, if it wasn't wrong, then you haven't caught the spirit of it yet. And there's still some things in the heart that need to change. If this wasn't one of the things in the Bible, if it just was, you know, because there's lots of things in the Bible that they don't specifically list as wrong that we know don't follow the moral compass. They don't follow the things of how to treat people. So if this still falls in that category of if it was okay, then yeah, I'd still be doing it. Then we need to work on that. We need to, we need to address that. There's still some more growth, some more maturity that comes out of it. Yeah, no, it's totally true. I had a guy last week say to me, he's like, I just realized I didn't see it as that bad. And so he was kind of struggling to, to break free, but it's a revelation that has helped many people when, when, I mean, ultimately, if you want a pure heart and that leads to, 
to freedom in our behavior if you're if your heart is in line with god's heart and there is a purity there so you are you are right and i think it's a really important shift for people to to make is to not just live in that guilt and have the guilt motivate them to have, but to have the father's heart and grieving over the sin and the darkness be be one of their motivators i think that's that's important um and you're talking about discipleship getting um, like having a whole change of, of life, getting things that, that conform to the world out of our lives, becoming more like Jesus. And then people move from, from being a disciple. You talk about going to and becoming a servant, becoming a son. Can you talk about that process and, and how you would look at, like what, what indicators do you have at each level, I guess, in somebody's maturity to say, Hey, I think that they understand servanthood. No, I think that they understand sonship. Yeah. And, you know, if we use sports as analogy, you there's teams are constantly changing, shifting, you're adding new players, but the championship formula for in, in sports is when a team is bought in, when they finally submit, they finally understand that I have a role to play. And that's, you know, it's this maturing process. So when you move from a disciple where you're starting to observe where you're learning or you're imitating, you start to kind of get this bought in feeling. You're like, okay, this, I can do this. I'm, I'm seeing the benefit. I'm seeing the goal. I'm seeing the heart, the vision behind what it is that we're learning. So this whole thing about Jesus, this whole thing about spreading, you know, the gospel, the whole people about, you know, keeping people out of hell and then saving, you know, souls. When there's this buy-in, you start to, your connection, your heart connection gets a little deeper. You start to see the person not necessarily as a teacher, but maybe more as a father figure. You're starting to see somebody. And so I don't know if you guys knew this. This hit me not long ago. I didn't realize that Judah never called Jesus Lord. Had you guys ever heard that before? No. No. Made that distinction? Yeah. No. He only called him rabbi. He was Mm. only ever calling him a teacher. All the other disciples, we see this, where they're submitted, like you're Lord, you're, Mm -hmm. you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Judah only ever referred to Jesus as rabbi, Mm. as just teacher. So there was a disconnect in the heart. Sorry, Mitch, just to clarify, do you mean Judas? Or am I hearing Judah or am I hearing the right? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I said it wrong. Okay. <laughs> Good. I just wanted to clarify. <laughs> I'm saying Judah, but yeah. 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 Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Kate. Just to clarify. There. Very good. Judas only ever said um, rabbi. And that, that yeah. struck me because we talk about false fathers, but there's also fraudulent sons. There's people who go through the motions and they look like it, they smell like it, but they're not there. The heart connection hasn't happened yet. So in my opinion, as you're moving on from a disciple, you're going from that invitation and it's kind of a behavioral change, a behavioral adjustment of what's going on. And you move past that into more of a heart connection. Now you're still not quite there because a servant is generally looking for favor and honor in the eyes of a father. They want to be noticed. I'm doing good things. Are you proud of me? And you see this again with your own children. I've got I mentioned before though, I have four kids. When they do something that they want to be recognized for, they make sure you see it. <laughs> look at me, look at me, look at me, look what I'm doing. And you'll start to see this posture. And as if you have a heart of a father, if you have a, a healed heart and you're not still wounded yourself or still operating out of a place of like abandonment or, or orphan, you can recognize and say, good job. You can encourage and you don't come down and, you, you know, you need to be humble and you need to, you know, stop seeking stuff and realize people are growing in maturity just like a child does. They're, they're doing things that are new to them. They're doing things that I've never done before. I shared the gospel with somebody the other day, and I've never done that before. I met this guy on the street, and I started, it just came out. I didn't know what happened. You're guiding them. You're shepherding them. But as you move from a servant 
it's a wonderful thing because Paul refers to himself as this. The word for servant is doulos. And it means somebody that's given themselves to the will of another. So, okay, I'm buying in. I see the vision of the church. I see the vision of the ministry or the people that you've surrounded me with. I'm on board. I want to help do this. But in the doing, you still want to be seen. Mm. You still want to be recognized. You still want people to notice this transformation that is taking place inside of you. Um, Paul says it in, in Romans 1.1 that he's a bondservant, which is like the same word there, mm. the doulos of Christ. And it means to give yourself wholly to the service of another person. And so you're working for the father, you're working for the ministry, you're working for the leader, but you haven't quite fully submitted. You haven't given everything of you fully to them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're still operating in some degree of self rather than surrender. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I, I mean, it's just as you're saying that, uh, I've, I'm just thinking through all these conversations I've had with people over the years uh, in ministry where there's something that's holding them back, whether they're struggling with, you know, whether it's a sexual addiction, but just something in life where they can't move in their growth uh, and as far as their their discipleship, their maturity, they just seem to have some sort of block there. And just what you're saying, they haven't made that 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 connection. They haven't made that understanding of who Jesus actually is how that relates to them in life and then that whole aspect of being a servant and moving towards, you know, becoming a son or a daughter, um, understanding that uh, process and understanding where they stand in relationship to this. So they often will view God in a certain way. Like he's, I, I keep him in a box in the basement of my life and I open him up when I need something, or it could be as simple as, Oh, Jesus is my buddy, but I don't see him as Lord. And they wouldn't say that, but, uh, you know, their, their life is reflecting something. And often that's what's happening is they haven't really made that full connection to who God actually is and who he is in their life. So they're living out of that and then they're, they're stuck. It's just like they're, they're trying to run through mud and they just can't get anywhere and maybe they don't recognize it. So it's so interesting you're mentioning this because it's, it's so true. And, and so for someone who maybe is listening to this, and they're, maybe the Holy Spirit's working and doing something in their life and revealing this, but what are some things that we can do to uh, like open ourselves up and surrender to what God has for us and who he says he is in our life? Like, what are some things that we can do, some choices we can make? I understand this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, but what are some things that we need to do in, in our life as well? I think one of the first things is, is we have to stop disqualifying ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot where that shame and disgrace come from yeah um we won't even step up to the starting line because we've already disqualified the race in our minds i've done xyz they don't know my past they don't know the different horrible things and that's a lie because if you look all throughout the bible like outside of jesus maybe enoch because enoch you know he, he left with god he walked with god and then was no more we don't know a whole lot about enoch but show me somebody who walked a path that didn't end up fumbling if you just study the kings in the Old Testament, you have kings that start off amazing. They do an awesome job, and then they mess up at the end. And then they have this moment of redemption right before the finish. Yeah. And then you've got some kings that are horrible for 95% of their life. And then they come back and they get a realization moment, and then the Lord restores. So that you have to stop disqualifying yourself from the process, even going. Um, you know, the scripture says, take up your cross, deny yourself. Follow me. Well, that deny yourself, it means to refuse to follow. And who is it asking you to refuse to follow? 
you quit you giving you the bad advice. I'll ask Matt, are you a good influence on you? <laughs> we all have friends. We all are, you know, again, with my kids, who do you hang out with? Are they a good influence? I don't, you know, what are they speaking? Well, are you a good influence to you? If you were your best friend, would you punch yourself in the mouth? <laughs> By what you say to yourself over and over and over again, how you demean, if you had a friend who treated you like the way you treat you, how long would you be friends? And probably not very long if somebody else was saying these things. But again, we, we do it to ourselves. And so we, we hide in this cave you know, of self-pity, of disqualification, of part of that. But I would say the, the grace of God is tremendous. If you're sorry, truly, and that's what repentance is, it's a complete turnaround. If you don't want to live the life that you want to live anymore, then get on your knees and just empty your heart before the Lord. Those moments are some of the most powerful moments when I've had the biggest convictions of my heart for things that I've messed up on, and that's not my desire. So I just, God, help me in this. You know, even help me in my unbelief if I'm having a hard time thinking that you can redeem me. There's moments when you can just lay it out and you can get this divine unlocking. You guys are familiar with the story on the road to Emmaus when Jesus is resurrected. He's walking next to the two disciples. You should recognize him. They don't. They make it back there when they finally realized what happened. He said, did not our hearts burn within us? Did not this unlocking, this thing just opened up the scriptures to us? There's these times, men, if you're listening to this, that it's not your effort. It's not your mentors. It's not your counselors. It's not their words that's going to make the difference. It's this divine, supernatural, unlocking moment when you submit yourself to God to receive it. That's awesome. I hope that answers your question. I can get long. No, that's, that's great. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I, you know, I love how you're talking about talking to yourself. Would you be a friend with your to yourself if you were mm-hmm. hanging out with someone talking to yourself like that? I, I think that's great. I, often I I say that that the reason we talk about ourselves or talk to ourselves that way is because it makes sense. Everything is justified, and there's a reason we screw up and then we beat ourselves up. It it seems to make sense, but the grace of God does not make sense, and we have too much common sense in this in this world and. And, uh, and I think it is so important what you're saying to, to realize that the grace of God is real. It, it's huge. I know that that's been huge for me. So I appreciate you saying that. But I also love um, what you're saying. I just want to share a little bit about Luke 4. I was reading about a month ago. It, man, it, it's been impacting me, though. Because in Luke 4, Jesus gets baptized. He gets told when he gets baptized, you're my son with whom I'm well pleased by the Father. And he goes into the wilderness and comes, he's fasting there. He's starved there for 40 days. He's alone. He's, he's tired. He gets tempted. He comes right out of that to Nazareth. And in Nazareth, he preaches. And people are, uh, they know him, but he's rejected at Nazareth. And they bring him to the brow of the hill. And then he walks through the crowd and, and goes on to Capernaum. And then Capernaum demons are shouting out who he is. And he's like, hey, be quiet. I don't want people to know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm like, man, he was just rejected because of who he is by the people that knew him. And then he goes to the to Capernaum. Demons are shouting out who he is. I mean, as human beings, we want that affection or that affirmation of who we are. And especially when we have been rejected, especially when we're rejected by those closest to us, as Jesus was, then we want the next person to affirm who we are. Jesus gets affirmed by these demons. He's like, no, no, I don't want people to know yet. And, and I think that it's fascinating to see that this was at the start of Jesus' ministry, he was rejected, he was starved, he was alone, he was tempted. People talk about halt with addiction or sexual sin. Halt, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Those are the reasons we go into sexual sin. Jesus literally experienced all of those things. I don't know about the anger, but he experienced the rejection. 
And it's fascinating to understand that that was a testing process for Jesus, where he came out of, of out of Capernaum, went to to Peter's mother-in-law's house, and all of the people came to him. They would have kept on coming, but he kept on going to different towns to preach the gospel. And there's a real blessing of the Father where we where he takes us through this testing process, and we don't look for the gaze or the affirmation from other people because we simply have it in the Father. I love. I love what you are saying, that that's kind of an indicator. Um, are we looking for the attention from others? But this is where I want to get to with my question to you, is that at the start of this, when Jesus first gets baptized, he goes into the wilderness. The Spirit leads him to the wilderness. And this really came alive for me because a few years ago, I was reading in Matthew 6 in the Lord's Prayer, and, the, and Jesus teaches us to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. But then he gets baptized. He goes and gets led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted. I'm like, what, how does that, how do I reconcile this? And when I started learning the significance of the wilderness, then it made sense because Jesus was led to the wilderness by the Spirit. He wasn't led by the Spirit to be tempted. He was led to the wilderness where he was tempted. And so, Mitch, I know that you have a lot here and your ministry is even just add wilderness. A lot of Christians were like, we don't want the wilderness. We want to do away with the wilderness. But I would love for you to talk about the maturing that happens in the wilderness season in our lives. Oh yeah. That's, and even what you're talking about when Jesus gets baptized in, in culture times, that was the day of adoption. And so the fathers would have this public ceremony where they officially adopt their sons for all to hear. That's the story of the prodigal son. When he comes with the robe, the ring, and the shoes, he's officially adopting his son before the community can cast him out. And so when the people hear God the Father, who again in this time is not supposed to be speaking, that's supposed to have stopped. You hear an audible voice, God the Father, this is my son, publicly declaring this is an adoption process that's now starting of going through. This is your, he's representing the family name. The wilderness, you know, even in the Hebrew um, the word for wilderness is midbar, M-I-D-B-A-R, and it, it's, it means the place of speaking. And so God and every warrior, every kind of famous Bible character that you can go through, when the Lord gives them an instruction and assignment, it's usually immediately goes into a testing season. It goes into what we call the testing season. And so it's, it's I need you to come out here. And I need to strip away a lot of what's going on in, in the normal life. And I need you to focus on hearing from me. And that's, in my opinion, what the wilderness season is about. It's the process of Jacob going to wrestle with the Lord when he crosses the rivers. If you look up the name of all the rivers Jacob crossed in that process, as he's sending away his family, as he's sending away his wealth, as he's sending away all of his possessions to where he gets before the angel of the Lord to have his wrestling match, there's a complete pouring out and a complete emptying of himself. There's nothing more of me here, and now God can finally take me and do what I what he needs to do. And so the same thing I believe with Jesus and us, when we get sent to a wilderness season, is God is like, okay, I need to separate you from the things right now that look good. I mean, that was a horrible PR move for Jesus, right? You have the big moment, and you don't go immediately into ministry. <laughs> you know, his advertising team should be fired. They would never allow this to happen. But God says, okay, we need to go through this. We need to have you face those kind of three, you know, initial type of sins, right? The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. These different areas that Satan went through there. If you look, a lot of everything comes from those three things mm-hmm. of being offered those. And so the wilderness season for me and what, what I love to teach guys and take guys and help facilitate is let's separate the noise 
I had a gentleman join one of my my events and he worked for um, a communications company and his job was like for the internet lines, the cables, all those different things. And he would say, you would get this noise and it's a static noise, but it's a phantom noise because where it's showing up isn't actually where it's, where the root of it is. And so he had to spend time chasing down these phantom noises because it was causing all this interference. And so for each of us, when we can get away from noise, when we can get away from these so-called problems, you know, that we dwell on, that there's really a root. <laughs> this is manifesting over here in your life, but there's something else that's causing it. The, the noise isn't necessarily the cause. Separate yourself from that static, from that noise, and go into a place where there's a purity that takes place in the wilderness. When you can strip back, when you can hear, there's a funny thing, if we had time another time, I, I got a whole notes, because just the way that the word for shepherd, the way for flock, the way the word for calling people, it's all based off of this wilderness word of midbar and midbar and um, all these different variations of it. It's really funny when a shepherd, even the keep of where they use to protect the sheep, it's very all related to this word wilderness, this place of speed. When you get out there in the wilderness, you're able to kind of shed the things of the world. So intentionally, I'm, I'm, what do I take guys on backpacking trips? It's designed very specifically we're going to hike. We're going to get up to about 10,000 feet. You're going to have on a pack. It's going to be strenuous. Not so much that you just blows you out and ruins the rest of the weekend. But I only want you focusing on putting one foot in front of the other and breathing. <laughs> I don't want you thinking about what you left at the parking lot, what you left at the trailhead, what's still going on at work, what's still family drama. It's still going on. And I think Jesus went through some of this where he had to be removed in here, and I just want you focusing on certain things that the Lord had brought to it during this time. So as these men, they, they hike on this trail. By the time we get to base camp, they take off their pack. They're taking the weight of the pack. It feels tremendous. I don't know if you guys have gone backpacking before, but when you when you shed that pack after a long hike, like, oh, I could climb a mountain now. Like, the weight is no longer upon me. But you're also removing a lot of the weight to the world. And then you enter this time of, of quiet, of listening, of seeking, of just purifying, this emptying out. And so for me, the wilderness is a place to renew. It's a place to restore. It's a place to kind of re-engage and just get clarity in so many areas of life that I wouldn't get because my phone is going to buzz. I'm going to get a notification on my computer. I'm going to have my kids who need help with something. I need to spend some time with my wife. There's lots of things demanding my attention. But the wilderness, none of that exists. That's awesome. I hope I answered your question. That's awesome. No, I love it. I love it. And the wilderness for us, lots of times it might be that we're not working for a season or a lot of guys we work with, they're, they're separated and they're, uh, you know, it's separated from kids even. It's just brutal and their pain is so real. But to keep that in mind, to take one step in front of the other, to focus on breathing, focus on hearing from the Lord, stripping away the things that have gotten in, in the way. Uh, I think that's so cool. It's so crucial. So you got any? Any thoughts? No, I think that's a great place to kind of close our our time together because I think that, I mean, it leaves me with something. Um, and I know it probably leaves everybody out there listening as well. So thank you so much, Mitch. Where can we find you? Uh, and I know that you're based in Colorado Springs, but uh, I'm sure lots of people come to your events from all over. Am I right? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So I'm um, based in Colorado. Uh, JustAdWilderness.com is the website. Um, you can find that on, on Instagram. I'm not as in, active on Instagram as I probably should be, but just at Wilderness YouTube channel, Facebook, website, all awesome. that fun stuff. Awesome. All right. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Mitch. I, I love everything you say in, in your ministry, so keep it up. 
Appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thanks for listening. If you would like to hear more, please visit purevictorypodcast.com to subscribe. This podcast was made possible by the generous donations of our subscribers. If you would like to help support the cause financially, once again, please visit purevictorypodcast.com.